Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready (laughs) to begin another grand experiment? I'm very ready. I'm always ready to go on another adventure with you. All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're so happy that you're there. So many people are watching the show on YouTube, Chandler. Uh, Yes. Uh, For those of you uh, who are not aware, uh, we are starting to publish our back catalog uh, Mm -hmm. onto YouTube. Uh, So for uh, any of those who've been listening to us from the very beginning, uh, well, you can fall in love with us all over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, we are uh, probably not even halfway through our uh, first season. Uh, They are being (laughs) published uh, uh, every Monday uh, on our YouTube channel. Yes, please subscribe. Uh, so, uh, for those of you, if this is your first uh, episode of History in Retrograde, uh, we'd like to welcome you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, dropping in. We've got quite the party going on over here. Uh, so, the way the show works is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the Mac computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. She will then do uh, her best to give a blind reading of that chart, telling us what she can about the person's motivations, personality traits, characteristics. Uh, I will then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is and uh, give a little background about the person. And then we'll come together at the end and uh, discover how close the chart was uh, predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. Uh, This is a female. All right. Uh, Born on the 9th Uh of November. Okay. 1914. Ooh. Do we have a time? 11.30 p.m. (gasps) 11.30? 7.30. 7.30. 
Ooh, that's awesome. Okay, and where in the world? Austria. Austria. <laughs> okay, and the town? Vienna. Ooh. Here we go. Very cool. All right. So again, this is a female born on November 9th, 1914. Vienna at that time was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The First World War would have just broken out the summer before she was born. All right. And I'm just checking right now to see if we have any interceptions. We have cancer. Yes, we do. Look, you see it, Chandler? Mm -hmm. Interception right there. And uh, so we have two uh, houses in Cancer, which is going to give us two houses in Capricorn. You see that? Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. You know what? I think this time I'm just going to read this chart this way. What do you think? Are you okay with that? I like it. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and start uh, this for um, astrologers, which... You probably already know because uh, you're an astrologer, but um, I'm going to read this with Placidus Houses and include the interception and work from this chart right here. All right. So let's first go through all of the planets. Okay. So we have Sun in Scorpio at 16 degrees, Moon in Leo at 2 degrees, Mercury in Scorpio at 11 degrees. Venus in Sagittarius at 12 degrees, Mars in Scorpio at 26 degrees. If I'm seeing that right, Chandler is at 26 degrees. <laughs> it's either 26 or 28. Uh, Jupiter in Aquarius at 14 degrees, Saturn in Cancer at 1 degree, Uranus in Aquarius at 7 degrees. Neptune in Leo at zero degrees. Ooh. Pluto at one degree Cancer. North Node at two degree Pisces. Chiron at 14 degrees Pisces. Mm, very, very, very interesting chart. That's a lot of water. Okay, so we will start. Let's see where this North Node is. We have North Node in the ninth house at two degrees. Pisces. Wow. Okay. So first off, if we're reading this chart, I'm just going to start with the North Node. Is that okay with you, Chandler? Yep. Okay. So we have North Node in the ninth house here. Okay. Now, even though this North Node is at two degrees Pisces, uh, this house cusp is Aquarius. All right. So having your ninth house cusp in Aquarius is going to make you interestingly unique in how you address um your spirituality your um uh religion your dogma your philosophies education higher education and with it being in pisces it's going to be very creative very also could be really super religious because it's pisces but that whole neptunian thing with the pisces um, but also Pisces used to be known as being ruled by Jupiter, um, you know, the same as Sagittarius. Sagittarius uh, and Pisces were both ruled by Jupiter before they discovered Neptune, you know. So that's very expansive. That's going to have a very 
interesting, expansive way with uh, your direction, you know, because if you're following your North Node the way you're supposed to, then this person should be either very philosophical, very spiritual, very dogmatic, very religious, very higher education, all of those things that have to do with Jupiter, which rules the ninth house, because Sagittarius rules the ninth house, right? But see, also, this person has Chiron there. You see this, Chandler? Mm -hmm. And the Midhaven conjunct this Chiron in Pisces. So uh, automatically, Pisces is to heal, right? But healing different than Virgo, healing like spiritual healing, you know? But in this situation, when you add Chiron to that in Pisces, conjunct the Midhaven, that's like, I don't know, some kind of spiritual healer, emotional healer. And and the Chiron is falling in their 10th house, okay, which is ruled by Pisces, okay, and their Midhaven is there on that 10th house cusp. It's just inside of it, so it still has this kind of, you know, north node thing going on, right? Because this north node is conjunct this Midhaven by degree. You see this? Because it's eight degrees from here to here, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have four degrees from here to here. So this is a big deal, whatever's happening here with this healing mm, behavior. Honestly, uh, unless this person is super incredibly creative, like a painter or a poet or um i don't know somehow they're very very creative and they and they have this healing uh situation here now if this person is working with their dark side mm, this person could be very maniacal but it's i mean it's rare that we have people working with that kind of dark side because, you know, Pisces is duality, the same as Gemini is duality, right? Because Pisces is the light fish, the dark fish, and Gemini is the twins, right? They're the only ones that have two. So that's very interesting, just right out of the box, okay? Um, so let's move to, just for interest's sake, let's go to the Ascendant, which if this, if this is the correct birth, birth time, this person has cancer rising, all right, at nine degrees, which puts their first house cusp at nine degrees. But here, and they, they don't have anything in their first house, okay? But with cancer ruling your first house, it makes you very watery, very um, empathetic, very nurturing, should be. Um, people with cancer rising can have like, round features soft round features big eyes you know like 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 moon pies <laughs> and really pretty watery features and then this person has cancer on their second house cusp as well which is going to give that's going to kind of lean into this second house which is um they have Neptune at zero degrees and Moon at two degrees conjunct in Leo. This is going to give this person some fire, but zero degrees Neptune in Leo conjunct your Moon with all this creativity over here. 
that's a lot of creativity, but also a lot of leadership potential, a lot of um, uh, creativity, you know, definitely creativity, but could have something to do with children. Moon in Leo conjunct Neptune in Leo, but that's going to make you very creative with your finances because it's second house, you know? Then, uh, because we have this interception here, which an interception, for those of you who are not familiar with an interception, you really have to be working with, like, the Placidus house system um, in order to get this uh, um, interception to show up. It won't show up on full ho whole house. It won't show up on, you know, the other houses. I am very interested in the concept of the interception because I have people very close to me who have interceptions, right, Chandler? <laughs> yes. And so they are very intriguing to me because it has to do with where you are on the planet when you're born and how you end up with these really big wide houses, you know, like this. And then your tiny houses where you have doubles like this. So um, having cancer on your first house cusp and your second house cusp is going to make you nurturing in both of those areas. So you're nurturing in how people perceive you. You might not really be nurturing, but that's how they perceive you. And then um, having this nurturing ability on your second house cusp, which is your values, your valuables, how you work. Um, how you love, things like this, okay? Um, because it's ruled by Venus. And this person has uh, Leo planets in there. Then our third house cusp is Leo, which is communication. Gemini and Mercury rule the third house. So we have um, Leo in on the third house cusp, which is uh, very... It can be very creative communicating. It can be very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, lots of bravado. There could be a lot of bravado there and how you communicate, you know, or you could be really dramatic. It'd be very Leo, you know. Um, there's no planets in that house, but that Leo speaks volumes. Then we have Virgo on the fourth house cusp. We don't have any planets in the fourth house, but the fourth house represents home, family, your innermost thoughts and secrets, and it's ruled by Virgo. So if nothing else, this person should have a very organized, very uh, clean, clean, organized house and um, county <laughs> community you know if they have anything to do with the community then we have fifth house cusp is libra and we don't have any planets in libra in the fifth house but hold on <laughs> because we have three planets conjunct in scorpio in the fifth house okay so uh this lady <laughs> Um, has a, a lot of potential to be very um, Scorpio-ish. <laughs> so with her Scorpio in the fifth house, the fifth house is ruled by Leo, which is the sun, which is romance. Um, 
romantic aspects of sexuality. And I say this specifically because this woman has so many things in Scorpio, which would make her fairly comfortable with her own sexuality and her own um, desires. But it would also give her a very powerful creativity and performance ability and also um it could make her uh have uh abilities okay um she could have psychic abilities she could have natural um she could have natural healing abilities especially with children you know but her mercury is in scorpio her sun is in scorpio and her mars is in scorpio all conjunct by degree because we have mercury at 11 degrees and sun at 16 degrees and coming up you know within 10 ish degrees of that is mars so it's not exactly conjunct by degree but it's all conjunct by sign this woman is really not someone that you would want to do her wrong if that makes any sense because this woman even though she's born when she's born she has the capability to strike and strike fast and accurately. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Is any of this making any sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it when it makes sense. Okay. And then uh, six house cusp is right on Scorpio. Do you see this? It's literally mm -hmm. on the line, which is also going to give us this 12th house cusp. So, even though her fifth house cusp in this Placidus house system is a Libra, which should give her this kind of pretty fair, very fair-minded, very, um, you know, balanced way of looking at things. You don't get three or more planets in Scorpio and then you're like, okay, to let things slide. Nothing will slide. Nothing will slide with someone with that many planets in Scorpio. You know what I mean? They're, they they see everything and they never miss a beat and they will strike when you just don't even, you know, I don't know. Mm, this woman got some power. Okay, then she has this Venus in Sagittarius, okay? What's really weird is like this house cusp is on the line between Scorpio and Sag. I mean, it's right on the line. So the sixth house cusp is kind of Sagittarius. So her interception, she has no house cusp for, you see this Chandler? She has no house cusp for Scorpio and no house cusp for Taurus, right? So these are these are completely housed this is all housed in the libra you see this mm -hmm. and this is all housed in the aries so she has no scorpio house cusp and she has no taurus house cusp so in order to activate this i and <laughs> this is my this is my brilliant opinion is that she needs scorpios in her life to help activate these things right because in any situation i just i just think that that's how it works with interceptions and she needs her scorpio activated so 
I just, I'm going to say, whoever activates this woman, Scorpio, you're either going to have a really good time or you're going to have a really bad time. There's no in between. So there's that. And uh, Sixth House Cusp, Sagittarius, this is going to give her a very cavalier way of how she works and does her daily life. She's going to be free. She needs to be independent and free. And she needs to do things the way she wants to do them, which is difficult for a woman in this time unless she's really in the upper echelon of the world, but her Venus is there. So her Venus is how she does being a woman. If she identifies as a female, you know what I mean? And having Venus in Sagittarius is going to make her very independent and very all about however she wants to love is the way she's going to do, it, you know, and no one is going to control how she does that unless they literally capture her like an animal and force her to do what has to be done but mm, i don't know with all this this all this going on this scorpio and this venus and sagittarius whew, i don't know i think i would like her <laughs> i think i could get in a lot of trouble with her um so then we have seventh house cusp is capricorn and she doesn't have any planets in there, but that seventh house cusp in Capricorn uniquely is going to make her kind of, um, well, it could make her very manipulative on the dark side of Capricorn, but on the light side of Capricorn, it make it could make her very um, uh, trustworthy and 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 give her a very. Um, um, honest and dedicated way of dealing with partners. You know what I mean? But she has her eighth house is also in Capricorn. She has this double cancer over here. She has this double Capricorn over here. Double Capricorn, no matter how you look at it, is going to, there's going to be money somehow. Somehow there's going to be money because you don't get that much Capricorn and not have any regard for money. Unless this Venus and Sag makes her really want to, you know, ride her horse into the forest. I don't know. But um, eighth house cusp in Capricorn is going to make her mm, very responsible, supposedly, for other people's money. But she has a whammy because she's got this Jupiter in Aquarius and Uranus in its home planet in Aquarius. Wow. <laughs> this lady should have had a really kind of unique, not kind of, like a lot because it's Jupiter conjunct Uranus in Aquarius. So Jupiter is so much more than, you know, you can even imagine it's a lot. And then in Aquarius is going to make her probably humanitarian, humanitarian concerns. Um, and and you in a unique way, because it's Uranus, which is going to make it different and new and, and, and unique. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Am I still making sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, Okay. All right. So um, also Aquarius used to be ruled by Saturn, right? 
So here you have these two houses in Saturn, right? And then you have this. So in essence, she has three houses altogether that could be considered originally ruled by Saturn, you know? And that is, uh, but but uh, when when Aquarius was ruled by Saturn, it was still air, you know, and and, and Capricorn is still Earth. So um, there's still those differences in that where this Saturn resides is cerebral for the Aquarian, right, and then earthy for the Capricorn aspect, which is business and and work and money, you know and valuables. And we've already been through this, all right, with the, you know, ninth house cusp in uh, Aquarius and having the north node here in Pisces and the ninth house, which is very unique, very humanitarian. And then 10th house has Chiron in Pisces, which is very healing, somehow in the career. And then we have the 11th house, which is Aries, um, you know, just really um, self-starting, but it has to do with groups of people somehow, maybe protecting groups of people, okay? And then this um, Taurus, which there are no planets in Taurus, um, and then we have the 12th house cusp is Gemini, but in that house, she has her Saturn conjunct Pluto in Cancer by degree in the 12th house, which is karma and institutions and hospitals and um, uh, foreigners. But Saturn and Pluto and, you know, in Cancer. So there, there is some karma with healing. There's some karma with learning or teaching, nurturing. Am I still on track? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Um, what would she look like? I think if this time is right, I think she would honestly look kind of sweet, kind of kind, pretty, you know? Round features. She could even, because the moon rules cancer. So if this is her rising sign, then her features should be round. She could even be a little plump. What is her romantic life like? Well, she doesn't have anything in her seventh house. But boy, does she have all the Scorpio and Sagittarius. So, I mean... Venus in Sagittarius for a woman, she's going to do what she wants to do, you know? Um, I can't imagine that this woman with Mars conjunct Sun, conjunct Mercury in Scorpio is having, I mean, I don't know. Scorpios can go completely the opposite direction, but I would normally read that as she's very comfortable with her sexuality. If she's not, then she's flipped all the way around like she is just never gonna have sex you know what i mean she's either super comfortable or she's just not gonna i'm going with super comfortable what would she do for a living 
Well, I would think she's either, she has options here because one, people who have a lot of Scorpio do not have issues with icky stuff. Like they could be an embalmer or anything, you know, they could deal with people who have um, boils on them, you know, they, they don't have a problem with that. At least none of the ones I've ever known have, you know, but she has all of this healing happening here. She has all this nurturing happening here and she's got this incredible mind about her that is, you know, Jupiter conjunct Uranus in Aquarius. So she should have been very smart and very innovative. But you don't want to take a guess? Well, I'm guessing she's some kind of healer. Uh, she could be a leader. But, I mean, as far as her career is concerned, she could be in something that has to do with spirituality, healing, um, religion, possibly travel. Um, but, I mean, maybe she's a scientist coming up with how you heal things or nurture them or maybe she's a madam <laughs> she can be a lot of things Chandler this is not a chart of a person who is like just straight up this is what they are you know what I mean like if you have five planets in Aries you're probably a general you know but this woman's got planets all over the place she has a stellium in cancer, though, which is very motherly, you know. But not about the Scorpio down here and this Venus and Sagittarius. And this very, uh, she has eighth house Aquarius. Aquarius on the eighth house where you have taboos and hidden things and sexuality and sex. That's, that's a very... Um, futuristic look at those things. Aquarians don't have issues. It's logical to them. So I don't know. She could be a madam. Very nurturing. <laughs> what kind of mother would she be? I would think that she would be, if, if you know, we're dealing with all the, the good side of everything, I would think she would be a really good mother. She has moon and Leo can check Neptune. She should be able to tell wonderful, wonderful <laughs> bedtime stories because she's got she's got Neptune at zero degrees, which is like the most powerful degree. Zero and 29 are the most powerful degrees of any sign, you know? And um, she has Saturn conjunct Pluto at one degree in the 12th house, which is very nurturing because it's in Cancer. So her lessons or her teaching has to do somehow with nurturing um, or even motherhood. But with Pluto there, death and rebirth, it could be a situation where she has issues with the mothering because mm, worst case scenario, bad things could happen uh, because it's death and rebirth, right? So, uh there's that. But I mean, Scorpios also, I've, I've met many Scorpio women and they are really amazing moms, you know? 
And that's what she has on her fifth house, which is children, you know. What is her relationship with solitude? Well, she does have North Node in the ninth house. And she has all this Scorpio. So she could have, you know, she, she could have that. But here's the thing. Solitude is one thing. All right. And that would be very North Node in the ninth house. Like you could be a monk, you know, if you wanted to with North Node in the ninth house. You could be a silent monk, right, who never interacts with anyone. But not with this Chiron in Pisces. Chiron in Pisces, it will not let you not heal people or things. You don't get to hide from it. You don't get to hide out from it. You don't get to escape it. There is no escape, Chiron and Pisces. You are either fixing things or fixing people. There's, there is healing happening. So she might want to have solitude and she might try to have solitude, but it, she could be on the top of a mountain where there's no trail to get there and people will come to be healed. I know that's true. <laughs> At least I have faith in what I'm saying <laughs> from personal experience. <laughs> How would she deal with rejection? Well, Moon in Leo isn't going to deal with rejection very well. And neither is all this Scorpio. And this Venus in Sagittarius is going to want to stab it with a, 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 a skewer or a sword or something. So I'm going to say this woman would not deal with rejection that well. And I want to correct something. I did misspeak. She does not have a, stale, a stellium in Cancer. She has Saturn conjunct Pluto at one degree Cancer in her 12th house. And she has Neptune and Moon in Leo. Neptune being at zero degrees Leo and Moon at two degrees Leo. So she does not have four planets in Cancer. So strike that. What is her self-esteem like? Honestly, I think her self-esteem should be really good. Having Neptune... Uh, conjunct moon in Leo, the Neptune could make her question herself, but I don't know if it's going to make her question herself beyond that moon in Leo. People who have moon in Leo tend to be fairly sure of themselves. And ah, this, this Scorpio can make you um, kind of... Uh, um, it can make you want to retreat from the world or retreat from um, society, but it can also make you want to um, be in the middle of it. So I, I, I don't think with Venus and Sagittarius, I don't think any of these things are really telling me that she doesn't have a healthy self-esteem. What is her legacy? Wow. Okay, so her eighth house is in Capricorn, but she has Jupiter and uh, Uranus there in Aquarius. I would think that her legacy has something to do with humanitarian efforts. 
futuristic ways of dealing with humanity, um, possibly being some sort of scientist, um, inventing something, maybe? Uh, that's what I would think. That has maybe something to do with nurturing, teaching, something like that, and healing, maybe. Because <laughs> I'm really putting myself out there. I'm like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. This is what it is. <laughs> I'll probably be completely wrong. And I hope yeah. I know this person because knowing them helps a lot. Do you have any final first impressions? I think I would like her. And I think that she probably has no choice but to heal people. I think I think I would like her. She could be, she might be a little scary though, with all that Scorpio. I think she'd be lovely, lovely, dramatic. We'll see. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm, I think that this woman is very unique for her time. I think that she would have been a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> well, at this time, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. Okay. Uh, the first thing you said is that she would be unique in spirituality, religion, mm -hmm. philosophy. Uh, there's a possibility she could be super religious. Uh, she could be a spiritual healer. Uh, she would be incredibly creative, possibly a poet or painter. Mm -hmm. She could be uh, maniacal uh, following <laughs> uh, the negative impulses in mm -hmm. her life. Mm -hmm. She would be empathetic, nurturing. She might have soft, round features, big mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, she, uh, there's a lot of creativity, and she has leadership potential. Mm -hmm. um, people would perceive her as nurturing. Mm -hmm. uh, she is connected with creative communication. Mm -hmm. There's lots of bravado, drama. Uh, she might have a very organized house and community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she would be comfortable with her sexuality and desires. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, would have a creative performance ability. Mm -hmm. uh, she might have supernatural abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, would have a natural healing ability, uh, especially with children. Mm -hmm. uh, you would not want to cross her. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a capability to strike and strike quickly. Mm-hmm. She um, also has this other competing part of her personality, uh, which is uh, aiming towards being pretty and fair and having a balanced view. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever happens, uh, she will not be able to let any slight against her uh, just slide. No. Um, she will strike back and she it would be very powerful when doing so. Yes. Uh, she would have a cavalier way of life, mm -hmm. independent. She would need freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, she will not be controlled. No. Uh, she has your seal of approval. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, she uh, could be very manipulative. Um, could be. Could be very trustworthy. Mm -hmm. She has an honest way of dealing with partners. Mm -hmm. uh, she would be responsible with other people's money. Mm -hmm. uh, she is unique. She is uh, connected with humanitarian things. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be involved in protecting groups of people. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, She has a karma with healing and nurturing. Mm -hmm. She might look sweet, kind, pretty, Mm -hmm. maybe even plump. Mm -hmm. She has an independent, free spirit. Mm -hmm. This woman would be comfortable with her sexuality. Mm -hmm. She would not be uh, easily grossed out. No. Uh, She has an incredible mind, very smart, Mm -hmm. innovative. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She could be some kind of healer or a mm-hmm. leader, something mm-hmm. to do with spiritualism and travel. Mm-hmm. She could be a scientist or maybe a madam. <laughs> yeah. She would Which have you a... know is always the case. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, she would have a futuristic view of sex. Uh-huh. Uh, she could be a good mother. There are lessons in nurturing. There mm-hmm. could be possible issues. While, mer- while mothering. Uh-huh. Uh, she would be driven to heal people and things. Mm-hmm. She would not handle rejection well. No. Uh, this woman uh, would have really good self-esteem. Mm-hmm. She'd be sure of herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she might have an impulse to retreat from the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a legacy with humanitarian efforts. Mm-hmm. Science. Inventing mm-hmm. something uh, that betters teaching, healing, nurturing. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, she has, uh, you would like her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has no choice but to heal people. Yeah. Uh, she could be scary. Yeah. She could be lovely and dramatic. <laughs> she would be unique for her time mm-hmm. and a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I think so. Uh, is there uh, anything that I left out? No, I really hope I know who it is. Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? <laughs> yes. This is the astrological birth chart of one of the most famous movie stars in the world. What? Who is also credited with inventing the technology that we are speaking through right now. Oh my God, I know who you're going to say. Say it. Hedy Lamar. Hedy Lamar. Yes. This is perfect. Oh, I love her. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Hedy Lamar. I'm so excited. Woo! All of that makes such good sense. Okay. Go, Chandler. Tell me about Hedy Lamar. So, Hedy Lamar was born uh, Hedwig Kiesler in November of 1914 in Vienna. She was the only child of Gertrude and Emil Kiesler. Uh, Emil was a, a Jewish banker in Vienna, and uh, Gertrude uh, was a uh, concert pianist. Uh, they uh, decided to uh, raise their child uh, Catholic uh, and had all of the finest things available to her. And growing up in Vienna around this, uh, the last part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, there are still great concerts being put on, uh, great operas that she would attend. Uh, the uh, Spanish horses, uh, she remembers them fondly. That they, that she grew up in this very bohemian uh, atmosphere uh, and uh, really excelled in her studies growing up. Uh, she especially loved science and chemistry. 
uh, and uh, she really uh, loved the arts as well. And when she was very little, uh, they took her to see a uh, silent movie and was she was just completely enraptured by it, uh, by uh, uh, the whole idea of acting. Uh, very early on when she went through puberty, she discovered that she could make a room stop. That whenever she entered a room, everyone, men and women, would look at her. Uh, she had this overwhelming beauty. Uh, she, by the time she was 16 years old, she left home and she went uh, to the film studios in Vienna. Uh, she worked uh, partially uh, uh, looking at scripts, but that was only for really a few days uh, before uh, one of the directors put her in front of the camera. <laughs> Uh, she uh, continued to make a few of these silent films, and then she got a part on stage. And uh, on the stage in Vienna, uh, she was doing this uh, production uh, for uh, producer Max Reinhardt. Uh, Max Reinhardt made several films uh, in the uh, German uh, uh, film industry and would later go on to Hollywood. And he was the one who uh, produced uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in the 1930s. Mm hmm. Uh, so Max Reinhardt knew that uh, she needed to stay in Berlin. And so uh, she moved to Berlin in 1932. The following year, 1933, uh, she made the film Ecstasy. Uh, this was a Czech independent film, and it was uh, very scandalous. Mm -hmm. uh, she is uh, featured in it uh, fully nude and there are uh, simulated sex acts in uh, the film. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a film that uh, everyone knew about, even though it was banned everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, Hitler had it banned uh, in Nazi Germany. The United States had it banned. But everyone knew exactly who she was and put her uh, into international acclaim. Mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, she had this reputation, uh, as everyone now knew about her, there was a, a young uh, German-Austrian uh, uh, industrialist uh, named uh, Frederick Mandel. And uh, Mandel uh, pursued her, even though uh, she uh, didn't necessarily uh, uh, really want his advances. Eventually, she succumbed too, and uh, the two of them were married. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, 18, and she uh, decided that she uh, would retire uh, from acting uh, so that she could be a wife to mm -hmm. uh, Frederick Mandel. Uh, Mandel uh, was this industrialist. He was working in uh, munitions, and he was one of the ones who was uh, providing munitions to fascist Italy and to Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, he would host these gatherings, and uh, a lot of the top brass of uh, Nazi Germany, uh, even Mussolini himself, uh, were at the uh, palace and uh, would be entertained uh, by the hostess, uh, young uh, uh, Miss uh, Mandel now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, Mr. Mandel uh, was very controlling. Uh, he did not want her to pursue uh, her dreams, and he uh, only let her out of the house to go to his factory, and that was Ooh. it. Uh, uh -huh. So she would have to go to the factory. If she wanted to go anywhere, she could go to the factory, mm -hmm. and then she could go back home, but that was it. Yeah, And this uh, restrictions combined with her father passing away, um, uh, really driven, uh, he had a heart attack because of the stress that was happening, uh, being a, a, a Jewish banker and the crackdowns going on in uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Nazis 
uh, doing in uh, Germany and Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this led to her needing to find a way out. Uh, so uh, she devised this plan. Uh, so as the hostess of the palace, it was her job to uh, hire uh, all the help. And mm-hmm. so she found a maid who looked very much like her. Ooh. And uh, she ended up getting sleeping powder and she put it in the tea and she drugged the maid. Uh-huh. And so while the maid was asleep, she had already sewed all of her jewels into her coat and she put on the maid's outfit and got on her bicycle and escaped. I love her. I love her. Uh, so uh, Hetty then uh, left uh, Germany and she went uh, to uh, the United Kingdom and uh, mm-hmm. she lived in London and she was there uh, for a few weeks and she uh, already uh, attracted the interest of a uh, uh, a Hollywood agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Louis B. Mayer uh, was in London pretty much just waiting for all of these German stars to escape Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, he uh, would buy them up cheap and then send them off to Hollywood. (laughs) So the uh, Hollywood agent uh, put uh, Hetty in contact with Louis B. Mayer. She had no idea who this man was. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, there was a meeting. And uh, even before the meeting, she talks about how uh, one of the first things she did when she got to the United Kingdom is that she watched a movie and the movie was an MGM movie. And Mm -hmm. she said that she remembered the lion and Mm -hmm. that she really wanted to be where that lion was. I bet. Uh, I bet she did. And so uh, she had this meeting uh, with uh, Louis B. Mayer (laughs) and Mayer said, uh, on the spot, I will sign you up for a contract working for a hundred. $125 $125 a week. Oh my. And uh, she rejected it. Uh, mm-hmm, she said that uh, she was uh, worth more than that and she left. <laughs> but uh, she uh, had second thoughts and she knew that uh, Mr. Mayor was going mm-hmm. to be going back to the United States mm-hmm. uh, on, uh, on a ship. And so she booked passage on that same ship and she made sure that Mr. Mayor saw her uh, in her bathing suit, in her (laughs) tennis outfit. uh, And then uh, later uh, at one of the banquets on the ship, uh, she put on her nicest gown and the last pieces of jewelry that she had. And Mm -hmm. she walked into the room and everyone stopped and looked at her. And Douglas Fairbanks Jr. uh, was sitting at the table with Louis B. Mayer and Louis uh, snaps his fingers twice and uh, she goes over and he says, You're, you'll start for $500 a week. <gasps> That's awesome. And uh, they had to come up with a new name because Kiesler was too Jewish. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they, there was this other silent star. I think her name was Barbara Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she uh, passed away uh, in the silent era much too soon. And uh, Louis B. Mayer's wife uh, really liked her. And so they gave her the name Lamar, which is mm-hmm. French for the sea. Mm. Uh, so Hedy Lamar was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, she ends up going to Hollywood and there aren't a whole lot of uh, opportunities that are given to her. Uh, the people at MGM don't really know what to put her in. Mm-hmm. Um, they've never seen anyone like her before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, finally, uh, after a few trials, she gets this picture, Algiers, uh, in 1938, and uh, completely takes the show away. Everyone uh, knows who she is. Uh, She's this great exotic beauty. Um, Mm -hmm. 
she's really she's learning English on the fly uh, to uh, really she's learning English through the script mm-hmm. by memorizing the script is how she's learning English for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she's able to do so. And uh, it's one of the great motion pictures of the time and uh, one of the biggest hits uh, of the year. Uh, but then after that, uh, they still don't really know what to do with her. And they keep putting her in these roles where she doesn't get to speak much. And she's really just put there to be eye candy for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she's really uh, upset with the way that her career is going. Uh, and in 1940, uh, she uh, demands to be put into MGM's picture, uh, Boomtown. Uh, so this was uh, this uh, great film about uh, uh, drilling oil, and it has Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable, and uh, she gets this smaller role in it. And again, she takes it away, and uh, re- really this uh, role cements her as a star in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then from that point, she uh, continues uh, to work in Hollywood. She's in lots of movies. It's the studio system, so they're cranking out uh, uh, hundreds of movies a year. Uh, and so she's uh, uh, starring in a lot of these films. She's also one of the uh, biggest uh, uh, things to uh, hit the, the Hollywood dating scene. So she's mm-hmm. seen on the arm with Jimmy Stewart and all of these. And uh, eventually she uh, dates Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. And Howard Hughes really respected her uh, scientific talents uh, because ev- all the way since she was little, she was playing with these chemistry sets and she had this unique scientific mind. Mm. Uh, and Howard Hughes uh, really uh, respected that. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, made sure that she had a not only a, uh, a, a planner's table and a chemistry set to work at at home, mm-hmm. also had a smaller miniature version made up so that she could have it in her trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she would go on tours of the Hughes um, plants. And uh, Howard Hughes told all of his scientists that whatever she tells you to do, do it. Um, and uh, <laughs> one of the stories goes that they, they were looking at um, how to make the planes go faster. Uh-huh. And uh, so what she did is she looked at the designs, uh, the anatomical designs of the fastest fish. Uh-huh. And she looked at the fastest birds and she put the two together and made a more aerodynamic airplane. And oh, Howard wow. Hughes made his planes that way from that point forward. Mm hmm. Uh, She also uh, came up with this idea, um, knowing that the war is coming on, uh, uh, that the soldiers would want to have Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola. And instead of making bottles of Coca-Cola to send across the sea to make these little cubes that you could then just put into water, and that would create the Coca-Cola. She's brilliant. She said that that one didn't go so well. It just tasted like (laughs) Alka-Seltzer. She was trying. Uh-huh. Um, in 1939, uh, she ended up getting married uh, for the second time, uh, this time uh, to producer Gene Markey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people were kind of uh, perplexed because Jean Mar- she could have had any man in the world. But mm-hmm. Jean Markey was uh, kind of this uh, balding uh, uh, man who uh, he was just this big producer and screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they got married and they ended up adopting a son named James. Oh. Uh, so, uh, but that marriage didn't last uh, very long and, and they divorced in 1942. Mm hmm. 
Um, in the middle of, of that marriage in 1940 in the United States, uh, the United States was neutral uh, at that point in World War II, but everyone knows that it's coming. And she's hearing these stories about her people back in Austria and especially Jewish people um, mm-hmm. and the things, the horrible things that are happening to them. Mm-hmm. And um, she's really concerned about the uh, the torpedo warfare uh, that the U-boats are going after, not just uh, military vehicles, but civilian ones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that the U-boats are uh, never getting hit by torpedoes. And so what she uh, thinks of is if there was a way to control the torpedo while mm-hmm. it was in the water, mm-hmm. um, then it could be more accurate in hitting the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she plays around with this idea for a long time. And um, the, there's this new remote control that comes out to control your radio at home. Mm-hmm. And so she looks at that. It's called a magic box. So she mm-hmm. kind of looks at how that works. And she hasn't figured everything out yet. And then uh, while she's at this dinner party uh, in 1940, uh, she meets a man named George Anfield. And uh, Anfield was a, a very esoteric uh, composer. Uh, and he uh, made all these uh, wild um, jazz and uh, contemporary classical music. And, uh, uh, and she just knew talking to him that, she, that they would be able to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, as she's leaving the party, she finds his car and she writes her name and her number on, in lipstick on the windshield of his car. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, uh, uh, he got the message. I bet. Uh, And uh, so uh, they started working together and developing uh, this idea of how can you radio control the torpedo? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Because if you start putting radio transmitters in there, it'd be very easy for the Germans to um, just uh, uh, interfere, put interference out into the uh, radio waves. And uh, you could they could control it themselves at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to, what they came up with was you had to keep changing the radio frequency and both the transmitter and the receiver would both have to be on the same channel each time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had to have a device that could do both. Uh, when I started trying to put this in my head, I, I thought of, um, the, the wonderful, uh, masterpiece motion picture, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, um, where uh, they are uh, uh, the bandit and mm-hmm. uh, the snowman are figuring out how they're going to get around uh, the uh, the Smokies mm-hmm. being able to listen to them on the radio. Uh-huh. And so they figure out that if they just keep changing the channel every time that they're talking, well, then the Smokies not going to be able to figure out what they're talking about. Uh-huh. And so this is very similar. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Uh, they have to change the radio channels uh, frequently. Uh, And none of them have an engineering degree. They have no background in Uh in any of this. George Antiel didn't really have much of an education at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But his greatest claim to fame was that he had to, uh, he created this orchestral piece using 86 or 88 synchronized player pianos. Wow. 
And uh, so he started looking at it, and the player piano uses this roll uh, of paper with these lines cut out into it that tell Uh the machine what to do next. Mm -hmm. And so they figured out that if they put a roll of paper like a piano player would use in the torpedo and in the uh, ship, that they could get them to change frequencies at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so uh, they developed this this whole, uh, or at least they, they drew it out all on paper, and they got a patent for it. And they sent it to the U.S. Navy and uh, w- with the expectation that if it was any good, that it would be used uh, to save lives. But if that technology was to be used for civilian things, mm-hmm. um, then they would get money from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Navy looked at it and, and they laughed it on its face because uh, it was created by some kooky Mm -hmm. uh, composer and a movie star. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, what you think we're going to put player pianos on submarines? Uh, So uh, they just shelved it and didn't look at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, although Hedy Lamar kind of wanted to continue trying to make these things with George Antiel, Antiel had no money, and so he had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they kind of dissolved their partnership, and they each went back to their regular lives. Uh, so they told her, uh, you would be doing a lot better for the war effort if you uh, used your charm and your looks to sell war bonds. Mm-hmm. And so that's what she did. And so yep. she went all across the nation, uh, whistle-stop tours mm-hmm. uh, all over, and uh, she sold uh, the equivalent in today's dollars of $342 million, mm-hmm. uh, in war bonds. Wow. Uh, she uh, uh, was a, a main uh, player at the Hollywood Canteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this canteen in Los Angeles where uh, servicemen could get in for free and they could be entertained and the people working the canteen were the movie stars. So you mm-hmm. could see uh, Lucille Ball and uh, uh, Kate Hepburn and Betty Davis uh, scrubbing up tables and uh, giving kisses to uh, the young servicemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, that that's what she did. Uh, that's what she did for the remainder of the war. Um, in 1943, uh, she got married for a third time, uh, mm-hmm. this time to an English actor, uh, John Lader. Um, and they had two children together, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they had the first adopted son, James, uh, live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's very interesting. Um, Hetty sort of loses interest in the adopted son uh, once she has children of her own. And um, he was adopted and he had a a lot of behavior problems. Mm. Um, And she sent him off to a military boarding school. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually one of the um, uh, teachers at the boarding school asked to adopt him instead because she was showing no interest in the child. And so uh, they adopted him. Uh, uh, instead. And mm. really, uh, the young uh, boy, Jimmy, uh, had no contact with Hedy Lamar for many decades afterwards. Oh, that's um, sad. Then uh, she got that she, she divorced again uh, from uh, Mr. Later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then uh She's also, by the mid-1940s, finding it difficult to find acting work that uh, really at all, but mm-hmm. especially that really challenges her and, and gives her something that she wants to do. Uh, 
Um, and so she decides to go around the system and she produces films independently. <laughs> uh, so she makes uh, several uh, dramas and she makes a comedy. Um, but this is not the same show business system that we have today, uh, which values independent artists or at least has some form for them to be successful. Hmm. There's no film festivals outside of Cannes that you could really go to in the 1940s. Uh-huh. Um, and the studios own the distribution systems. Mm-hmm. Paramount owns Paramount Theaters. Uh, uh, Fox owns Fox Theaters. So if you're an independent trying to get your film into these theaters, they block you out completely. So these films, although uh, were produced very well, um, didn't get any showings. And so she wasn't able to make a success out of that. Mm-hmm. Um in 1950, uh, she is kind of uh, falling out of favor in Hollywood, and that is when uh, Cecil B. DeMille uh, tags her to be uh, Delilah in Samson and Delilah. Mm-hmm. And this became uh, the highest grossing film of the year, and I think the second highest grossing film of the entire decade, mm-hmm. um, uh, her portrayal of Delilah. And mm-hmm. so she saw how uh, well this did, this epic did. Mm-hmm. So uh, she leaves Hollywood and she goes to Italy and produces an epic on her own. Mm-hmm. And it is called uh, The Loves of Three Queens. Mm-hmm. And so she portrays uh, three famous queens throughout time uh, and talks about how women uh, were treated and how they were viewed and uh, how it hasn't changed all that much and all of these mm-hmm. uh, big ideas uh, on this epic scale um but it's not produced with the same kind of hollywood quality because she's Mm -hmm. dealing on foreign soil and there's no way that she can get it distributed in the united states so even though it's this uh, great epic piece it doesn't have the same kind of qualities as an american picture and really very few americans ever saw it Mm -hmm. Uh, so by the night the mid-1950s uh she i'm not sure uh, where we left off in the whole marriages and divorces to <laughs> the fourth marriage. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's to Ted Stouffer. And that doesn't last very long. And then she gets married to the oil man, Howard Lee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Howard Lee was this Texas oil man. And so the whole family leaves Los Angeles and they live in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um and they're married for seven years. And while they're married, uh, Howard Lee's this big oil man and is able to go on a lot of these vacations all over the country, all over the world. And uh, they go to Aspen, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing there. There's just the slopes. Uh, there are no resorts. There's uh, uh, just a, a few very nice private places to stay. And she looks at Aspen and she says that it reminds her a lot of the Alps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so she decides that Aspen should have ski resorts the way that the Alps do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she designs uh, Hotel Lamar, um, this uh, lodge uh, in the middle of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it becomes very successful. And so she is credited with creating the resort industry in Colorado, in Mm -hmm. the ski slopes there. Um, When she gets divorced from Howard Lee, all she asks for is uh, for for her ski resort. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some issues that are happening in her personal life. Uh, she is, uh, because she was in the movies, um, she was given a lot of medication to uh, uppers and downers. Yeah. And uh, there were lots of problems with that. And some kind of confusing thing happens where she decides that during the divorce proceeding, she doesn't have to go onto the stand. And so she sends her body double to go on the stand. <gasps> And the judge is so uh, angered by this that he takes away everything. (gasps) And so she does not get the lodge. She does not get the credit for it. Um, And uh, she goes back to Hollywood and uh, she marries uh, her divorce attorney. Uh, Oh, no. uh, That is a marriage that uh, lasts about three years. And Uh after that one, she doesn't get married again. so that gets us into the 1960s. Well, all during this time, uh, the United States government has found the patent and has found usage for it. Mm-hmm. In 1955, uh, they uh, start sending it around the Navy to try and develop uh, sonar buoys. Mm-hmm. So buoys with antennas that can communicate with submarines under the sea and uh, airplanes up in the air and ships uh, on the water. Uh, and uh, they use uh, frequency hopping as a way to uh, make this sonar buoy to where uh, the Soviets could not uh, crack it. Um, and uh, once they start using it for the sonar buoys, they then start using it for drone uh, airplanes that are uh, flown uh, during the Vietnam War. And from there, it goes into civilian technology. Uh, and uh, the first cell phones start using frequency hopping. And mm-hmm. the technology just keeps getting used and used. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Hedy Lamar never saw a dime and did not nope. get any credit for any yeah. of that. In 1966, uh, Hedy Lamar was arrested for shoplifting. Um, uh, it's unclear if this was just some call for attention or if it was genuine confusion. She was acquitted of the charge, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it really brought her name down in uh, Hollywood and lots of jokes were made at her expense. Mm-hmm. She's also getting older mm-hmm. and uh, as she was a woman who was so known for her beauty. So she started going to plastic surgeons to try and maintain that beauty. And there are a lot of things that she uh, requests of the plastic surgeons to do that then later became um, standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's, she asked them to hide the scars, put the scar behind the ear, put mm-hmm. it in the crook of the elbow, put it here and here so that people don't see it. That was not something that people were, were doing at the time. And so she's kind of credited with these plastic surgery developments. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times she would get some bad stuff and then she'd have to get that fixed. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, eventually by the 1980s, she kind of just goes into complete seclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but in 1990, uh, there's a Forbes reporter who finds out that the woman who uh, who's responsible for cell phones is Hedy Lamar, And so mm-hmm. he starts reaching out and in 1990 publishes this article about her and uh, her work uh, in uh, technology. And so throughout the last 10 years of her life, she starts to get these awards and gets uh, accredited for developing this frequency hopping idea, which led to the modern world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although she did not get 
any money for this because uh, she was uh, the patent had already expired by the time the recognition was coming her way. Um, also, the government, uh, which I think is really important to point out, is that the government took the patent uh, saying that it was alien property uh, because she was not a United States citizen when she oh. made it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though at the same time she is selling millions of dollars of war bonds for the war effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she is certainly credited with this now. There are some people who say that maybe she gets too much credit. Uh, there's one man who says that she just took the idea from her first husband in the munitions factory in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little far-fetched because if he had done that, then the Nazis would have had Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. And uh, they didn't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but that's what that guy says. Um in any case, she is now uh, uh, really known not only for her beauty, but for mm-hmm. her intellect as well. And uh, she ended up passing away uh, after the turn of the millennium in uh, January of 2000 mm-hmm. and um, is just really a, a, a phenomenal woman uh, mm-hmm. who accomplished so much and accomplished things that we don't even fully understand or and uh, can be um, grateful for her for. Um, mm-hmm. But all the the frequency hopping is the basic technology behind um, not only cell phones, but GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. Um, All of our modern conveniences can be uh, traced uh, to the work uh, that she did with a uh, a crazy uh, (laughs) concert pianist composer uh, trying to figure out a way to defeat Hitler. Mm -hmm. Um, So that uh, truly remarkable woman, uh, Hedy Lamarr. Absolutely. An incredible woman. Um, I just think that there are so many things. Now, when I said healing, she was, she was healing things, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is a situation where um, no matter how you look at it, Chiron and Pisces is going to be healing, fixing, correcting. Somehow it, it creatively heals it you know and um clearly she was brilliant she had jupiter um conjunct uranus in aquarius you know by by degree this situation with communication her 12th house is ruled by gemini right but that is communication even though her saturn and her pluto at one degree cancer fall in that house right it still has to do with the house the house is the house ruler is gemini communication very 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 interesting and um wow a beautiful beautiful woman untamable obviously she was married what seven times mm-hmm. yeah well you know back then people got married when they were with someone they got they married them you know mm-hmm. and um Wow, I I just love her. I think she is amazing and dangerous and brilliant and gorgeous and all the things, you know. I'm pretty sure she could stop traffic. I I believe that if she walked into a room and everything stopped, you know. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, I I totally like to hang out with Eddie Lamar. (laughs) Very cool, Chandler. I like it that you chose Eddie Lamar. Uh, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is one that's definitely right on the money. This is uh, (laughs) who uh, Hedy Lamarr was, uh, even if uh, 
all, all those people watching the movies didn't know. Um, this is uh, was all laid out in the stars uh, long before she became a star. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She was born to do it. You know, what's really interesting is that North Node and Pisces can make you really, really um, very psychic. And if you think of this in an ethereal way, the universe is constantly available. I mean, the narrative is that we have access to the Akashic Records that Tesla just thought. He just opened his mind and thought and the thoughts came to him, you know. So if you are open, you know, you can receive the thoughts and the fact that they go out, you know, to everyone. Like sometimes you'll hear a song and it'll be, it'll sound just like this other song, but they both came out at the same time. You know, like one of those movies, Chandler, the ants and the bugs, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> so some of that is things. just stealing, but sure, sometimes <laughs> okay. ideas come about at the same time. That is true. But I'm talking about when they do come about at the same time and they're not stolen, but you know, they're out there. So I think that she was amazing. And, um, you know, she, she did have this 12th house situation. So maybe, you know, she was paying off a debt in some way karmically and that's why she didn't so much get the credit until basically i mean right at the end of her life but um brilliant just amazing i love it uh well uh that concludes this episode of history and retrograde we'd like to thank you all so much for listening uh if you would like to support the show uh we have all the links to our social media accounts posted in the show description uh also please leave a uh, rating and review if you are um on apple podcast spotify uh all those really help us in expanding our audience uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account. Every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding that audience. And uh, if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen. Uh, please uh, just uh, take a look at the link there to um, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com. And uh, you can get with mom and she can uh, go over the details of how to get your chart uh, read or the chart of that special someone or that special four like it somewhere <laughs> that's very true i love to read charts for animals and for people and for babies that are on their way i would love to do charts i love to do charts for newborn babies it's a wonderful gift and um yeah we're having a great time anything uh that you need can be found on the website it's at historyandretrograde.com and please join us for uh the shows that are coming out on YouTube because I do my best to point things out on the chart so you actually see the chart of the person I'm doing my best to point everything out so you can um, get some knowledge there if you are new and you're interested in learning uh, you know you might be able to pick up some things like that and um, I'm having a great time with everybody I know I'm going to be doing Cece and I think Anthony's charts here pretty soon so hi Cece and Anthony and um, yeah just get in touch with me because I really do enjoy working with everyone and uh, as always in conclusion as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned everything will be just fine everything's gonna be just fine thank you so much for listening we love you bye bye thank you so much bye bye <laughs>